Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. This episode brought to you by Hotel X Toronto. And Mike, we are halfway through our latter tournament for the Sunshine Double, the Miami Open, as this sort of hardcore block of the season comes to a close. And so far, fascinating tournament with big names advancing. And if we start on the women's side, I mean, the biggest name out in Iga Sviantek, who withdrew before things began. Yeah, I'm loving this sunshine double, by the way, and I know it's starting to get a little bit of flack from tennis Twitter, who, you know, we're always out to find something, I guess, to, uh, you know, get their feathers all ruffled about. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't find that the Miami Open is is dragging on personally. Uh, I love this time of the season. I know it's the last hardcore action that we're going to get for a while. So I'm just trying to, you know, sort of enjoy that while it's still here before we transition to clay. And you know, what more could you ask for than to have two 1,000 level tournaments back to back? men's and women's uh we we saw some great stuff in indian wells we're going to break it all down what we've seen through the first uh, half or so here in miami so far and there's some big storylines including what you just mentioned with igas fiantek out and uh, i don't think that necessarily means it's an open field i mean to me personally i've got a repeat of what we saw in indian wells for my bracket challenge with tennis canada this week and that is uh, Rabakina against Sabalenka again, which as it stands right now, as we record this on, uh, gosh, what day is it? Monday? On Monday night. <laughs> um, you know, that could still happen. Yeah, look, I mean, we talked about this, I think, at the end of Indian Wells, of the idea of a, a big three forming on the women's side in the sense of how dominant Iga Sviantek, Irina Sabalenka, Elena Rybakina have been over the past stretch of year plus now. I mean, of course, Iga in particular rises above all with her numbers and the two slams, 37 match win streak, all those titles. Uh, but we've seen Irina Sabalenka, of course, break through for her first major. We know Rybakina won Wimbledon last year and sort of didn't get the proper credit she deserved. And it's almost like she had to back it up in some sense to really put herself on the radar and make, you know, tennis fans truly recognize that she's a, a top end talent. And she really did that uh, the other week, of course, winning Indian Wells and making the Australian Open final as well. So yeah, Rybakina, I mean, she came through a really tough match against Paula Bedosa. I, I know Bedosa has been uh, struggling with form and injury, but Bedosa actually had a match point in their second set. Rybakina storms back, uh, wins it in three, and that has to be a confidence builder as she just took out Elise Mertens in straight sets. She's looking great. Arena Sabalenka will get a showdown with uh, Barbara Krychikova, who's who's also playing incredibly well. So, I, I mean, those are sort of the top names for me, but if we hit on, of course, the Canadian side of things, I think Bianca Andre who's been grabbing a lot of headlines as well this past week. Yeah, just building momentum. And we saw that in Indian Wells, even though it was in a straight set loss to Igas Fiontek. We mentioned that last week. No shame in losing to her. And it was quite a competitive second set in particular. Bianca was making the world number one look all kinds of uncomfortable for a stretch of, you know, four to five games there. And I mean, that doesn't make a match, of course. But I think what it shows is when Bianca's on her game and feeling confident, she has the repertoire to make people feel uncomfortable. And look at what we're seeing now. And I'm not surprised. I kind of, I, I went with her in my bracket challenge to have a, a bit of a run here. And Zachary, I mean, that one could have gone either way. Grueling match. The two have played before and had, you know, some pretty intense battles in the past as well. So no surprise that it went three and it went deep there. And, you know, as we're about to record this, uh, her match against Alexandrova, unfortunately, has been rain delayed early in the first set. 
but this is a great opportunity and that's that's no disrespect to Alexandrova who's seated 18th here probably seated higher than I, I would have guessed and I think many people would have sort of pegged her Andrescu the opposite I, I believe she deserves I shouldn't say deserve because if you deserve it you're going to have that number next to your name but given the time she's been off last year and, and still kind of putting her game back together but I think she's getting there and I think it's only a matter of time now before we see a consistent number beside her name in tournament draws uh, God willing that she stays healthy the way she's been playing yeah, and uh, there will be a lot more opportunities even past this event if she, of course, goes even deeper. I mean, that ranking will continue to improve. As of now, she'll be up uh, currently in the projected rankings to 27. That would improve if she does beat uh, Alexandrova, which you might know the results at the time you're l- listening to this. And, uh, of course, she missed a good chunk of that clay court season because she didn't make her return last year until late April. So she'll have a couple weeks if she plays a certain event or two uh, to add more points. And uh, I mean, there's going to be so many uh, strong opportunities for Bianca. It was a really interesting parallel, actually, uh, her following match after beating Zachary, playing the former uh, Australian Open champion from 2020 and former WTA player of the year, Sophia Kennan, in that third round match, who's a player, I mean, it feels like such an ill-forgotten talent. Uh, she had that incredible 2020, as as I mentioned, also made the French Open final. And then her career really fell by the wayside. I know injuries crept in, uh, probably some form and some doubt and some struggles with pressures. But it's sort of fascinating. You think like three, three and a half, four years ago, these were two competitors who thought they could be right at the top of the women's game competing for titles week in, week out. And they went back to back, right? Bianca was U.S. Open 2019. The next slam to start the next season, 2020, went to Kennan's way. Yep. And then that French Open final, if memory serves correct, was that the French Open that was bizarrely held in the fall there because of the pandemic was pushed to like yes. September, October, yes, I believe? That's, that's right. And and it's amazing how quickly things can turn and for different reasons. I mean, Kennan, if memory serves correctly, has been more of a bit of a, a crisis of confidence. Uh, Bianca took time away from the sport and, and, of course, physically had to deal with all sorts of injury issues that unfortunately have been a little bit repetitive in her young career but look at the two of them I mean time is on their side Bianca's just 22 uh Kenan I believe is 24 uh, they still got so much time ahead of them to work things out and uh you know we look at some of these young talents and and perhaps because of what we kind of grew up with seeing younger players like for me Monica Sellis who at such a young age you know had a a, a real grasp on the number one uh, ranking for such a long time Maria Sharapova had such success so early on Serena Venus uh, Martina Hingis, we don't get players who have that success early on and are able to consolidate it as much as we had back in the day. And I think partly that's because the depth of the tour is is so much more. And I also think that, uh, you know, maybe the pressures today weigh on players a little bit more. That's just my opinion with social mm-hmm. media and, and things of that nature as well and all that they've got to deal with behind the scenes. Uh, it, it's not easy for a player who's, you know, 20 or younger to have success and then be able to back it up, I think, because of some of those factors. But I think for Bianca especially, and if you put put it to me between Kennan and, and Andrescu, who I think has a greater chance of, of tasting slam success again could be my Canadian bias, but I think I'd have to give Bianca the nod there. I think most people would uh, definitely agree with you there. Uh, at least good for Kennan to kind of boost that ranking again. She's uh, going to get back inside the top 150. So for her, you know, much longer way to go, but she clearly belongs in that WTA sphere playing top tournaments. She's capable of beating these players still and, and competing. Uh, I, I personally love where Bianca is at. She, 
said something that I found really interesting after that win over Sophia Cannon because she was asked about her success in Miami a couple years prior. And people forget she made the finals of Miami in 2021 before uh, losing to the champion Ashley Barty, who's now retired. But Bianca basically revealed you know, during that tournament in 2021, she was not enjoying herself or enjoying her time on court. And I thought that was very revelatory in terms of probably her mental state throughout that season. Uh, Just the pressures of tennis um, really felt like a a job and a nuisance at times. And that's probably why she really did need that mental break away from the sport, put the racket down, get away from it all for five, six months, which she did. And now there's so much more clarity when she's on court. I can, you know, you can see it in her expressions and her mannerisms on court. She looks like she's enjoying herself. I mean, she's passionate and fiery, but she looks like she's having fun out there. Yeah, and you know what? Good point. And and not just on the court, but in press as well. You know, she had an early round Miami press conference where she was asked, I think, about her. Um, oh gosh, what was it back in the day? The the Orange Bowl that she uh, uh, when she was under under fourteen, under sixteen, mm-hmm. and she went back to back. And, and someone mentioned that she won it once, and she kind of gave a little like flick of the shoulder and was like, "Actually, <laughs> did it twice," you know, with a <laughs> smile on her face. And yeah. and to me, that's not cockiness. It was playful, and it but it does reveal that she's sort of feeling it again that the mojo's back and and great to see and and of the canadians and singles on the women's side uh clearly she's the the last one left and and a more successful run here than leila annie fernandez was able to enjoy um went out uh 6-1 my goodness to belinda bencic which i think the result maybe doesn't surprise me but the scoreline certainly does and then we should also touch base on Catherine sebov what a great story for the canadian the younger canadian who um qualified for her first main draw of a wta 1000 event and even won her first match too. So the ranking points, the confidence, the prize money too, which is is tough for players of her ranking. Um, that that's a really great story that probably outside of the Canadian tennis bubble didn't get a whole lot of uh, you know credit. Yeah, uh, amazing result for Catherine Se- uh, Sebov, the best of her career, no doubt. Winning the first two qualifying matches was huge. I mean, getting into the main draw of a WTA 1000, I think, is a-, a milestone for a lot of players that they'll set and may never accomplish. So she got into the draw, which was, um, you know, great enough already. And then she defeats... Uh, young teenager Linda Frivertova 624664 to win a match and I believe I read that you know just that victory alone netting her I think $32,000 American which nice. you know is massive for her young career and I think she's still just 23 years old and just a quick an- anecdote on Catherine Sebob I haven't met her personally uh I do find it very interesting I'll say this she seems to have no social media she's not on Twitter I think she has a private Instagram account so it's not public so she's very much off social media, which is unusual for an athlete, as we know. And I've seen her train a few times at Sobe Stadium, uh, of course, where we have the National Bank open. I've seen her train on the indoor courts. And she is, I must say, like, she is so laser focused in her training sessions. I know another coach by the name of Andre Silvassi, uh, who had an opportunity to hit with her. He's a, a great men's player. And he, he described just uh, the training session being incredibly serious from start to finish in her routines. She was there with her mother, who's also helps out as her coach. And she's just so locked in on all the details that she's working on. She's a very hard, flat ball. And it, it's impressive to see her sort of incrementally grow and, and succeed right now. Would she say the same comments about you after seeing you train on the court? <laughs> I, I don't think I was in her line of sight. And frankly, I hope not because it would probably look embarrassing uh, in contrast to my skills. But we'll uh, we'll move on um, to 
some other tennis news in terms of uh, the women's side, Elena Rybakina, as, as we mentioned, uh, winning streak continuing right now. It's reached 11 matches. I wanted to touch on one thing with Barbara Krychikova. She spoke with uh, the WTA insider, Courtney Wynn, uh, after one of her victories. She said she wants to be viewed as one of the top players in the sport alongside Iga Arena and Elena Rybakina and feels she sometimes gets a little bit ignored. So firstly, do you view that as well? And secondly, I thought this was cool. She viewed that as a big motivator. Yeah, it's interesting to me because, I mean, ignored, well, for what reasons? I mean, she won the French Open. Uh, did she get as much attention after that victory as some slam champs? Uh, probably not. It did seem like a bit of a quiet, a major accomplishment mm-hmm. on the women's tour. But then she kind of fell off the, you know, the face for a while there of the WTA top, top 10. And that was in part due to injuries, of course. But if you want the attention, then you got to get back up there. And and certainly she's had a recent result, which proves that uh, she's capable of winning big matches. But you got to do it consistently. And uh, it's kind of funny to me. She strikes me as a bit of a a quieter uh, player. And so some players don't want that limelight or some players don't don't seek it out. So it was, uh, yeah, telling to me that she says that uh, she feels a little bit neglected. And that that to me speaks that she's comfortable with that spotlight and, and wants to get back there. Certainly we've seen in the doubles world, her and Katerina Siniakova have been untouchable, basically uh, yeah. winning the last five slams. I think that they've been able to enter together as a team. Um, so, you know, very impressive there. Not that doubles gets the attention it's due, of course. Uh, but you want the attention in the singles world, then you got to go out there and do it week in and week out. Yeah. And I, I think I wonder if her comments essentially also mean just not even necessarily full on spotlight, but when the conversations come up of like, who are the best women's players in the world? She wants to be one of those names. And uh, she says she's going to work really hard to do it. We talked about her comments when she beat Iga about knowing she had to suffer on court to make it happen and did. And she's done so a couple of times. Looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation? Look no further than Hotel X Toronto our city's premier urban resort. With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there is something for everyone in the family. That's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there is so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. Uh, We'll move over to the men's side. And since you do love chatting about the Sunshine Double, we've got to talk about the guy who's attempting to complete the Sunshine Double, which is Carlos Alcaraz. And he looks like he's in cruise control to me because he has not actually dropped a set. Uh, going back to his Rio Open final on clay to Cameron Norrie. So he cleaned house at Indian Wells, and so far he's doing the same right now in Miami. I mean, is he the clear-cut favorite? I mean, it'd be hard to argue otherwise. And last week we spoke a little bit about the ATP players who've completed the Sunshine Double before, uh, which has happened a few times, but it's certainly not a regular occurrence. And the last couple of guys to do it were none other than Roger Federer, who's done it three times, nearly did it four. He almost won the back-to-back in 2019 as well, only to be stopped by, I want to say, Del Potro. Uh, and then Djokovic, who's who's accomplished the back-to-back four times. Uh, but even if you look at the players who've done it before, Agassi, Sampras, Chang, Courier, these are some of the greatest players that the men's side of things uh, has ever seen. And so if Carlos Alcaraz is able to do that at the age of, 
Has he turned 20 yet? No. Hasn't even turned 20. If he does at the age of 19, yeah, this is a big deal, right? This is a really, really big deal. And as of this moment, who do you see, you know, that could realistically take him out with the amount of confidence that he's displaying on court at the moment? Yeah, I, I still, well, firstly, I want to see if uh, Medvedev is able to go back to the drawing board. If he did get a rematch there, can he maybe figure some things out? Maybe things would play out a little bit differently. I think Miami, the courts play a little bit more quickly than Indian Wells. And we know Medvedev did not seem to particularly like the speed of the court at Indian Wells. So is that a factor? My other couple names are probably Yannick Sinner. Uh, I know Alcaraz has beaten him the last couple of times they played. Of course, the U.S. Open five-setter was incredible. But I I think Sinner is very close to his talent and skill set. He's incredible from the baseline. And, of course, he's a a young phenom. So I look at Sinner. And then we haven't really seen that much from Holger Rune. I I suppose I want to see a bit more from him this season after he won the Paris Masters last year. But I think he's another one of these players who's, you know, unbelievably gifted and talented moves so well around the court that I I'm looking like at a younger player uh, to, to pose the challenge really, I would say. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to do it, you know, regardless of age. And he just seems like he's getting better and better since he's returned to the tour after the Australian open uh, Indian Wells marching all the way to the title without uh, dropping uh, a set. And now so far in Miami at the time that we're recording this, he's got bagels in, uh, you know, both of his opening round matches. So Hasn't missed a beat. Kind of wish we could see that confidence and consistency from a couple of our Canadian men's players. And, you know, again, here, it it didn't quite happen. Although I would say Denis Shapovalov getting a win at least right now, it seems to be like a a step forward for him because he had been sort of uh, in in quite a slump there that was going back a a few tournaments. And and for Felix, a bit of a puzzling loss to me, to be honest, uh, you know, 6-2, 7-5-2, Serendolo, who I got to be honest, I I can't say I know that much about the guy. Yeah, Francisco Sorrindolo, I will say he, I guess he really likes the courts in Miami because he had a surprise semifinal run here last year, which at the time came out of nowhere. So he seems well adjusted to the way this surface plays. And he's a pretty solid top 30 guy. Uh, For those who remember the Australian Open, he actually took a set off of Felix there. I think they played in either the second or the third round. Um, But Sorrindolo you know, gave him a push and gave him some trouble. This scoreline, I mean, it's one thing to lose a match. I was quite surprised by the scoreline 6-2-7-5 and the fact that, I mean, Felix's winners to errors count, six winners, 27 unforced errors, kind of tells you the type of day at the office that he had. Uh, I suppose the positives, like he played really well at Indian Wells the previous week, and this is probably his worst match of the year, I would I would say, for Felix. Uh, yep. Good good match from Sorrindolo's side, but really nothing was working for Felix. And the good news for Felix is we know as we we do switch over to clay courts that that he's always been quite comfortable there, that he's made ATP finals there, that he's, uh, you know, grown up as comfortable as a Canadian can be, I would say, on on the red dirt. So um, I I think he could still have a a very, um, you know, meaningful swing on the on the clay over the next few months. Denis Shapovalov, I, I don't feel as confident to, to say that about, obviously, despite the fact that he has had a couple of notable clay results in his career, but but not known for it consistently. And I think that's mm-hmm. the word that we're, we're looking for with Denis is it get to some level of consistency because the way he's been playing, unfortunately, post-Aussie Open, I, I don't even see him playing top 50 ball at the moment, uh, let alone talking about getting back towards the top 10, which he you know flirted with last year. Yeah, we know he's a streaky player, but I I just don't see 
anything trending, even in the losses, to say like, oh, well, he had some opportunities and it didn't click. I mean, against Taylor Fritz, he didn't have a single breakpoint chance. 6-4, uh, 6-4, but it, I mean, it was a one-sided 6-4, 6-4. You're not talking about two incredibly tight sets where a couple points went Fritz's way. And I was just ta- um, you know, tabbing up the numbers here. Shapovalov hit 20 double faults over these two matches. I mean, that's alarming. Well, those <laughs> are like 2022 Sabalenka numbers right there. <laughs> right. That's an alarming number of double faults, and particularly against Fritz, serving 47% on your first serve. I mean, that's just not a recipe that, as you said, I, I don't think those type of numbers are ever going to beat a top 50 guy. Maybe you get away with it against, okay, you get away with it against a Guido Pela, who's <laughs> coming back, I believe, from a long layoff, or maybe you get away with it against you know someone outside the top 100. But once we get, especially inside the top, 50 the talent at, at this point in our uh, ATP sphere is too strong that Dennis needs to find something uh, something else because it, it has not been trending well at all since the Australian Open. Yeah, absolutely agree and and maybe, you know, off the court time to switch things up just a little bit get out of your maybe. routine, get out of the, you know, whatever it is that your usual is, just try and, and you know, throw a wrench in it, so to speak and uh, Ben, there was one other thing I want to talk about in terms of off the court and that's mm-hmm. uh, some interesting comments from American Francis TFO uh, this week kind of calling for tennis to shake it up uh, in terms of what they allow fans to do in the crowd more fan interaction he was talking about maybe letting fans, you know, talk through I don't know if he meant through points or just a little bit louder as as the games were going on and, and make it more of a basketball type of environment. I mean, how many sports do we know where you can hear a pin drop while the players are, are going at it? And and that would certainly bring more fans to the sport because I think it gives off a little bit of the, you know, elitist kind of vibe that, oh, mm-hmm. you, you can't make any noise at a tennis <laughs> match. You got to be so prim and proper. And uh, that doesn't just seem to jive with how sporting events and and how sports try and market themselves these days. So, I mean, I'd be for it. But I just don't know how the majority of tennis fans would react. I don't I don't know if there's that many that would completely align with with what Francis is calling for here. Yeah, and forget how tennis fans would even react. I mean, how would other tennis players, how would his colleagues react? And, you know, they're used to a particular environment. Would they no, that's embrace... what I meant. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, how okay. would tennis players, yeah, yeah, yes. how would tennis yeah, players would... react to that? Would they embrace the change? That's I mean, that's a good question. I'll say like when we've had tennis at the Olympics, I remember watching Rio Olympics matches, uh, one between Del Potro and Nadal um, in Rio. That was like one of the most electric matches I have ever watched in terms of fan engagement. It was incredible. And of course, it was like 7-6 in the third thriller. Um, and there was like, I guess, enough silence when they're just hitting their serve. But then like the tension, you can feel it. We know what night matches are like at Arthur Ashe. And I believe Tiafo commented on that in his remarks. And I love Cop that. And Billie Jean King yes. Cop. We've seen some great international sure. ties, right? Yeah, I, I love all of that. I, I guess the problem in this sort of exists like in golf, right? If you have complete silence and you're about to hit the ball and then that one like peep comes out, that's the big distraction. Whereas say, you know, you're playing basketball and it's just sort of permanent background noise. It's not really distracting at all. You're just getting used to that environment. So I suppose that there's sort of permanent sort of mutterings and hearing everything when it's when it's so silent, you can hear a pin drop and someone coughs or someone calls out. That's when tennis players are the most flustered and, and so, tennis as opposed to a team sport of course it's it's all you out there there's no team you're exactly facing, you're taking all that pressure on your shoulders look even players like Agassi and Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe at times would would lose it on fans who were yep. being too loud and those are the players who you would think would totally be able to roll with it and use that energy to their advantage of course it's one thing when you're receiving 
you know, the support of the crowd and another when they're against you. So, but, but I'm all for exploring this, you know, when it comes to changes in the sport, this is one that I'm fully up for uh, having some dialogue with. And and I hope it's something that, that that people are more open to. I guarantee at some point in the future, we're going to see a tennis environment that, that changes from what it is today, because I don't think tennis has the choice, unfortunately. I think it's going to have to adapt in order to maybe not survive, but but definitely in order to thrive moving forward. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, just as we wrap up quickly, credit to our guest from uh, last month who I spoke to, Christopher Eubanks, getting the biggest win of his career, defeating Borna Chorich in singles in Miami, and he's on the cusp of the top 100. Great result for him. I saw this just a little bit on social media. We'll touch on it quickly. Juan Martin Del Potro back training and wants to play the U.S. Open. I have to say, I was absolutely shocked to read this. I had written him off thinking his career was definitely done, especially watching him in the previous year, um, wincing in pain and he couldn't run, but I guess he underwent another surgery. I mean, what are the odds we see him back uh, in New York? I mean, if he's talking about it, it's obviously something he's, you know, into. I just, I had to click on three or four different links to make sure this wasn't just some sort of a phantom account that I was reading. You know, it, mm-hmm. it seemed to me when I first read it, like there's no way because I thought it was pretty much a foregone conclusion and he had admitted that his career was was wrapped up. But hey, if he wants to come back and give it another go, I don't know if he means just at the US Open or if he's talking about, hey, if he's feeling good, maybe, you know, back on tour for a bit. But hey, why not? If if he's up for it, who were any of us to say, you know, not to do it? I one of my favorite players for sure, and uh, one of the nicest guys out there too. I mean, how many hugs between him and fellow competitors over his career that just speaks to his level of class. So, you know, good luck, Juan Martin. I'd, I'd love to see it happen. Yeah, I would too. And we love when you guys tune in to us, guys. We will be back next time for a wrap-up on the Miami Open. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, brought to you by Hotel X Toronto. Talk to you next time.